It's Wednesday, April 15th. We're studying 2 Peter. And uh, don't be shocked, but we're actually going to try to get through three verses today in 2 Peter chapter 1. So let's go to the text and let's see what's going on here. Uh, the context, of course, we've been through many times. Diligent about confirming our calling, practicing these qualities, uh, having the sense of assurance that comes from that, and uh, even a uh, sense of reward that is built into that. Now, he says in verse number 12, uh, as we looked at yesterday, reminds, he, he's intending to remind you or us of these qualities, and through them, uh, even though you know them, he says, and you're established in the truth you have. Now, we're going to try and deal with verses 13 uh, through 15. He says, I think it right as long as I'm in this body to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ made clear to me, and I will make every effort uh, so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. And we see that familiar phrase there. But I would like to um, just show you a little diagramming and just kind of let you into how I study any passage of scripture and it will help us sort this text out. So look here at how I take any text that I study. I try to do it in the original language and in English and try to deal with the syntactical outline of it. And sometimes it's just logical. Anyone can learn to do this. But uh, let's look at our passage because these go so well together, all three of these verses as one thought. I want to make sure that we uh, get this right. So anyway, you can see here the logical connection here. I think it's right and the idea is to stir you up by way of reminder. So this is a parenthetical statement here that he's going to elaborate on late, later. Since I know that the putting off my body will be soon, and there, there's the same concept right here. These two ideas are together, right, as our Lord Jesus made clear to me. And so we're back to the idea here in verse 15. I will make every effort so that after my departure, uh, you may be able to recall all these things. So this is the idea of him making his his intent clear. I'm going to make every effort uh, so that you can recall these things. I think it's right to stir you up by way of reminder. Uh, but in the middle of all this is this talk about putting off his body. Uh, that is, and I know I'm making a mess of the screen here, but as long as I'm in the body, okay, and as long as uh, or until I'm about to put off this body, one thing you should note here in the original language that you can't see in English, but if you have an ESV, you'll see a little footnote next to it. This word body is the word in uh, Scripture, the word tent. Terrible handwriting, sorry about that. Is the word tent. Uh, and, and that's helpful for us to remember the way that even Paul likes to talk about our body. So I want to deal with a little bit in this passage to think through uh, what death is and to do that, which I think is helpful. It really will uh, save a lot of um, wrong thinking about what is so popular uh, in considering our lives and, and death and who we are. So let's just start with uh, how God describes our, um, our life thought I had the Genesis passage up. I don't, but let me remind you from Genesis chapter 2. I'll just read it for you. Genesis 2 verse 7 says, Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living creature. Think that through carefully now. He formed him out of the dust of the earth, the dust, the ground, the materials, all that the, the material body is made up is all the stuff you can find in the world, in the dirt, in the, in the rocks, in the soil. And then he breathes into his nostrils the breath of life. Breathe, breath, the word for spirit, the word uh, both in Hebrew and in Greek for spirit, uh, breath. 
and, and then he becomes a living creature, a living soul. Um, so the idea of a living soul, like you might talk about a pilot or a, a captain of a ship, how many souls on board, how many people do we have there? The idea of a person uh, made up of two component parts, dust of the earth, the, the, the material part, and then the soul or the spirit rather that is breathed into that person's life. Uh, that's the dichotomy of, of body and spirit of, as I like to say, hardware and software. So we start there to understand what death is all about. And I think it's very unique, um, not unique, but a helpful way that Peter put this here, that he's going to soon put off his body. And as long as I'm in this body, we'll remind you of who you are and what you inhabit. You are uh, spirit. You are software. As a matter of fact, the material elements of your body will go through transitions every, I mean, they say every seven years, every cell in your body is not the cell that you had there before. Uh, I mean, obviously a lot of them replicate at various rates, but you recognize that your body is uh, something that is constantly changing. The body you have now wasn't the body you had 20 years ago, if you're that old, um, it's completely different. The cells are different. The material's different. The same genetic code is continuing to drive the manufacturing of that body, but uh, that's not who you were, uh, at least materially. But you are the same person because you are spirit, uh, just like God is spirit and angelic beings are spirit. You are spirit. It just happens to be that you're designed by God to be encased. He creates the body in Genesis uh, chapter 2, and then he gives that spirit into that body and it encases it, or I like to say enmeshes that body. So when Peter talks about putting off this body, or that's how it's translated, put off this tent, literally, this habitation, this indwelling that you're in, uh, he's talking about and defining death. Uh, let's look at that using the same word here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 uses the same word, tent. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home, see right now you're in a earthly fallen tent. And the reason it's fallen, reason it's dying, reason it's subject to things like COVID-19 is because it is um, cursed, sadly, Genesis 3. God cursed the dirt, the dust of the earth, the material earth. Uh, he curses the ground, to put it in the exact words of Genesis chapter 3. Cursed is the ground because of you. So God takes a rebellious spirit and now he creates a rebellious material world for which those rebellious spirits will live in, including their very bodies. Can't get away from that. Whether you suffer from migraine headaches or uh, arthritis, or you have you know cancer, or whether you have allergies, whatever it is, you've got an imperfect body that is really reflecting as a consequence, a judicial consequence of Genesis 3, the imperfect soul, spirit that you, that you are. And that is what God did as an act of, of of a penal uh, response, a judgment to our sin in the garden. And so it propagated, and of course, we all live in the fallen tent. So that when the when the tent, back to this text here, for we know that the, the tent that is our earthly home, when it's destroyed, and it will be, right, uh, we have a building from God. So God's going to remake something here that we're going to live in. A house not made with hands, not going to be produced through propagation of a mother and a father, uh, through uh, procreation, uh, but it's eternal in the heavens. God has something new for us. For in this tent, there's our word, for this tent, we groan, right? There's lots of things we don't like about it. Even this, you know, sequestering, this, you know, uh, sheltering in place, this uh, being in, on lockdown. We, we can't even interact because of something that could destroy our body. Uh, and when we are affected by something or infected by something, we groan. 
even just knowing the temporal nature of our bodies, because we're longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. We want that resurrected body, that glorified body. If indeed by putting it on, which is going to happen, we may not be found naked, which by the way is a good definition of what death is. It's a disembodied spirit. It's a uh, spirit that is no longer encased or enmeshed in that earthly tent. For while we, were, while we are still in this tent, the current tent, we groan being burdened, not that we would be unclothed because we're not designed to be like angelic beings or like God, unclothed. God made us to be enmeshed and to be encased in material things. But the problem is we don't like the fallen material things we're in. We want to be in the perfect glorified things that God is, is, has promised us and is creating for us. But rather, we want to be further clothed. We'd like to be clothed in a resurrection body so that what is mortal, that's the problem with our earthly bodies, may be swallowed up by life, which again is a poetic way to talk, a poetic way to talk about the fact that we will have a perfectly uh, designed, glorified body that will be all about life. Death will not be a part of it. Death will not be functioning in our bodies. We'll not have the deterioration of our bodies. We'll not have the, you know, the elasticity in your skin that will be uh, not what it should be, or follicles in your head that cease to work, or, uh, you know, whatever it is, the, the breakdown of your body, that's not going to happen. So the mortal is going to be swallowed up by life. Why? Because we, this is who we are, we know uh, that this earthly tent that is our home, we have a building from God. I'm just trying to make the distinction between who you are and what you live in. You are software, you live in hardware. And so back to our passage when it says, as long as I'm in this tent, in this material container, uh, and one day he says, I know I'm going to put off this body, which is a great definition, by the way, of death. Let's look at these passages real quick. James chapter 2, verse 26, for the body apart from the spirit is dead. That's how you define death, right? When the body and the spirit go two different directions. Uh, and so it is, it's an illustration. Faith apart from works is dead. How about Matthew 25, I'm sorry, Matthew 27, verse 50. When Jesus cried aloud, cried out rather, again, cried out again with a loud voice, he yielded up his spirit. In other words, his body left his spirit. His spirit left his body, to be more accurate. Genesis 35, 18. And as her soul was departing, uh, for she was dying, right? There's your definition of death right there, a soul departing from a body, right? Uh, dying in, in childbirth. Acts 27, Stephen's being stoned, and they were stoning Stephen, and he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Well, his body's going to be left behind under a pile of rocks, but his spirit is leaving and going to be where Christ is. Uh, you remember that on the thief on the cross, for instance, when he was there, I think I got that passage here. I don't. But uh, when Jesus looks to the man on the cross and he says, today you'll be with me in paradise, uh, he yields up his spirit. He returns to the Father. Uh, and here is this man whose body is also going to be put in a grave. But that man is going to be his software, his, his, his thoughtful, animate, um, conscious awareness is going to be with Christ in a place he's calling their paradise. Speaking of, the idea of that, a good place and a bad place after death, after bodies are put in the grave, Jesus made very clear in that parable of the rich man and Lazarus in Luke 16. And uh, he's giving us a story about two bodies that are laid in graves, and yet they now have a conscious experience after life. 
I'm saying all this because so many people have wrong ideas about what happens when we die. This is what we call the intermediate state, the state where your spirit is disembodied and it goes to one of two places. There's no soul sleep, even though there's lots of euphemisms about bodies lying there as though they're sleeping. When uh, We say that because there's a resurrection coming and that the fact that the, God's going to take whatever's left of our material bodies and resurrect us. Um, anyway, Philippians chapter 1, verse 21, the idea of us longing to be apart from our body, even though we have to remain on, as he says here in verse 24, in the flesh, in the flesh, there's the idea of being alive in this life. But he says to live, I'm going to live for Christ. To die is gain. If I'm to live in the flesh, there's that phrase again. That means fruitful labor for me. I want to keep on serving God, yet I don't know what to choose. I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart. And again, his body stays here, but he's going to depart and be with Christ, for that's far better. But it, to remain on the flesh is necessary on your account, because I can keep on serving you. Convinced of this, I know I'm going to remain and continue with you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that you may, in me, have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. So the idea of being in this body as opposed to um, out of the body, which is what you define death as. All right, no soul sleep. That's a lot to, to say that, but you, when you're hit with that, there should be no confusion in our minds. Look what he says here in the passage. He says, I think it's right. As long as I'm in this body, I want to stir you up by way of reminder. Dealt with that yesterday. Since I know that the putting off of my tent of my body will be soon, as the Lord Jesus Christ made clear. How do you know that? Right? What, what is that all about? Here, one more passage. John chapter 21 verses 17 through 19, he's referring to this prophetic word of Christ when he has that famous encounter with him at the Sea of Galilee, the resurrected Christ, and he's asking him, do you love me? Do you love me? He's out fishing. He should be preaching. He should be leading. Instead, he's running away. So he asks him with his old name, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he'd said the third time, do you love me? Uh, which is the word phileo there. I don't want to get into all the distinctions in the Greek words, even though some people see them as completely synonymous. I'm not sure that that's an accurate way to view this. Nevertheless, uh, we won't get into that now. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you, that I phileo you. Jesus said, well, then feed my sheep. That's what you're called to do. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. That's the picture as we know, of crucifixion, and that's going to be clear in here in just a second. And another will dress you, dress you up, just like they did with Christ. They mocked him and dressed him in, in purple robes and carry you where you do not want to go. He said this very clearly. John makes clear. He said this to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Which, by the way, this is an encouraging thing. He's, Peter's not even willing to say strongly that he loves Christ. He won't use the word agapao, um, be, I think in part because he's so ashamed of his uh, failure and denial in Caiaphas's courtyard. But here in this text, Jesus is saying, you are going to love me and serve me. You're going to love me so much you're going to die as a martyr on a cross. Church history says uh, perhaps even upside down. That may be legendary, but he certainly died as a martyr. The early church uh, confirmed that. How he died is questionable in terms of whether he was inverted or up upright, but he was clearly put out on a rack, on a Roman execution rack, or killed, crucified in a way that made him stretch out his arms, get dressed in some mocking fashion, and be led away to die. And that was um, 
uh, a clear prophetic word from Christ. And he actually turns later in this passage and says, what about John? And he says, don't worry about John, uh, just you follow me. So that's the only reason he's got that clarity. We don't have that clarity of special revelation re regarding your own death. Nevertheless, he says, I'll make every effort, verse 15, so that after my departure, you may be able uh, at any time to recall these things. Look at that phrase again. I will make every effort. That's the same word that we had up there that started this whole thing in verse number five about you making every effort uh, to add to your faith. So that effort you can see is not just these seven things ought to be the target of your effort. It's that whatever your calling is. And I just want to end with this passage. I said one more, but I guess I had two more. First Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11. Uh, we should be working hard, giving ourselves, making every effort at whatever it is that God has called us to. Not just godliness, but the role in which God is going to use our godliness for good in the world. He says, as each has, and we all have, received some kind of endowment from God, some kind of gift, we are to use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whatever Peter's job is, in this case, to write this epistle to be that apostolic pastoral feeding of the sheep kind of shepherd who's writing these letters to get it done, he's going to do it. Whoever speaks, speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that everything God may be glorified. So I just want to remind you when we get through this Bible study, you make every effort to do what God has called you to do as a godly person, adding those virtues to your life. And uh, I guess what we pick up here is a little bit about our own anthropology, about what death is, about who we are, and uh, about understanding uh, the, the realities of biblical definitions of death. And that may be helpful in safeguarding us against some uh, bad teaching and false doctrine. Nevertheless, let me end with this for you to make every effort to fulfill your calling in whatever God has given gifted you and specially enabled you to do to serve other people in the body of Christ. God gifts you not to serve yourself or to please yourself. He gifts you and equips you to do things to serve the body of Christ. So there you go. Three verses. That's why we went a little long today. Second Peter chapter one, verses 13 through 15. We'll get into the next verse tomorrow. Thanks for tuning in. Subscribe, comment, and we'll see you back here tomorrow.